Welcome to the Run Run Live 3.0 podcast, where we celebrate the transformational powers of endurance sports. Well, my friends, we'll see how this goes. Hello, and welcome once again to episode 3-297 of the Run Run Live podcast. I'm podcasting from my car right now because uh, I'm going to go pick up a pizza for dinner. <laughs> Even though we're talking about nutrition today, I just got home on Friday night and my family is uh, being loud in the house and I'm trying to get this show out for y'all, for y'all. Today, we're going to speak with my friend Rachel, who was my nutrition coach for the last few weeks to help me get to race weight successfully, and I had the pleasure of spending some time with her last weekend at the Pocatello Marathon, and she's a super nice person, as well as being a good nutrition coach. The whole losing weight thing is simple. It really is. It's simple, yet it's frustrating at the same time. It's simple because it's clear what you need to do to be successful. But it's maddening because our lifestyles sometimes make those simple things the hardest things to do. And Rachel and I are going to talk through me sort of as a uh, case study. The skunk in the room, I guess, is how I did at the Pocatello Marathon. Uh, not so well, as it turns out. I knew early on that it wasn't going to be my day. And I, I executed to my race strategy, dead nuts on, but alas... By a mile 15, my legs said, no mas. So apparently my legs are Hispanic, but thus began a dispirited two-hour death march into the finish line. Since I'm sure you're all just super fascinated with this, I'll put together something for section two that gives what insight I can. In section one, I'll talk about being an alpha male. No, I'll talk about self-esteem, about how liking yourself and how it's a primary life skill. And going into this race, I had two weeks of the most intense taper madness. I was busy and traveling for most of the two weeks with trips to Atlanta and Indianapolis, but I had these great dreams. I had these lucid dreams. Now, normally I don't have dreams, or if I do, I don't remember them. Or if I remember anything, it's just like snippets. But these were fully formed epic dreams. So the first one started with Buddy and I in the backyard of a house. It wasn't my house, and it was dark out, and there was a lion after us. Not an African lion, more like a large, dark mountain lion. I grabbed Buddy, and we ran up a ladder, like this 40-foot aluminum ladder that was leaned against the side of the house, to get away from the lion. And I set Buddy on the roof, but the stupid dog jumped off, and before I could get to him, the lion got him. And I tried to beat the lion to death with the ladder, but it was dark, and it was too late to save Buddy. That's pretty interesting, huh? Fully formed, lucid dream. And I woke up very sad that Buddy had been eaten by a lion and I couldn't do anything to save him. The next week or so, I had another one that was pretty pretty cool. And I had a dream that I had a hooker girlfriend. Yeah, I know. Me and my hooker girlfriend were lying in bed in sort of a post-coedal repose. And I asked her, how many men have you slept with today? And she answered, 
six, but you're the first paying customer. She was cute in a rough sort of way. But my point is, where the heck did these fully formed screwy dreams come from? Complete with characters and dialogue and some humor too, I might add. It's crazy. So after I got back from Idaho, I was commiserating on my poor performance with my wife in the race, not with the imaginary hooker girlfriend. And she said, you always don't do well when you focus too much on an event. You do much better if you just show up and wing it. And there may be some truth to that. Uh, before I let you hear from Rachel, let me say one word. Rice cooker. You're going to hear about this today. I guess that's two words, but you could hyphenate it. You'll hear Rachel and I talk about the rice cooker. My daughter taught me how to use the rice cooker, and it's awesome. It's like a big crock pot. You throw in a couple cups of brown rice and a few cups of water, and then you put some veggies in the steamer rack, and then you close the lid, hit the button, and walk away. It beeps when it's done. No waiting for the water to boil, no watching it, no heating, nothing. It just cooks perfect rice and veggies all by itself with no intervention. And it cooks beans, too. Not the hard beans, the easy beans, those dry beans that you get in the bag for like a dollar in the supermarket. You can cook those. You don't have to soak them or anything. You just throw them in a rice cooker with some water, and you get beans for like a week. It's awesome. And one of the keys to my dieting success is brown rice, beans, quinoa, and steamed vegetables of all sorts, even sweet potatoes, in the rice cooker. Marvelously filling dinner, and you can stuff yourself on 600 calories or so. Rice cooker. On with the show. Are you hungry? Here's some food for thought. The Secrets to self-esteem. Start at the bedrock of your life. I heard it in my words as I was talking to Rachel. The point I was trying to make was that I have long ago gotten over the body image problems I had been challenged with, especially early in life. I heard myself say, essentially, and I paraphrase, body image isn't important to me because I'm ugly as sin anyhow, which wasn't what I was trying to say. Why is it that these self-esteem phantoms hide in the deep, dark dungeons of our mind only to poke their heads out when we don't invite them? Even when we banish these phantoms, they still intrude into our psyche and stink the place up. We all want to be loved, but many of us have these tricky problems with self-esteem that where we don't feel worthy of it. This problem with self-image and self-esteem is rampant in our society. If you don't believe me, just watch TV for more than 20 minutes and you'll be bombarded with marketing trying to sell us all kinds of useless crap that makes us feel better about ourselves to enhance our self-esteem. You'll never be loved unless you wipe those rosy-smelling chemicals under your armpits, drink those noxious sports concoctions of green liquid, drive that sexy car, or smear layers of colored oils on your face, ladies. Holy cow. It's a miracle we can get out of bed in the morning, given all the stuff we don't have. We must have enormous holes in our lives. More or less, society cultivates self self-loathing in us. And why? Because humans filled with self-doubt are easier to manage. They're easier to sell to. They're less likely to make trouble 
and they are more likely to settle for less and swallow all kinds of crazy and insulting crap without protest. We are taught to grasp, to want more, but that hole inside of us cannot be filled with Mercedes-Benz, nor with random acts of pleasure. We must let go to know what is real and what matters. In truth, having less equals having power. When you have nothing, you have the ultimate flexibility. You really have nothing to lose. Let it go. Give it all away, if not physically, mentally and emotionally. Take a deep breath and realize that you are not what you own or what you have. You are you, independent of all that. What's the worst thing that can happen? You could lose your house, you could lose your car, you could lose your job, but you would still have as much you as ever, maybe more, maybe even more, now that those things aren't taking up space in your garage, your life, and your mind. What I have found is that when you cultivate emotional detachment in business, in life, things will come to you much more easily. If you grasp, you will cause things to push away. When you're emotionally detached, things come to you. I recently read a book about pickup artists. These are the guys who spend all their energy trying to figure out the most effective and efficient ways to pick up women. And most of these guys started the pickup artist life as total nerds. These were not the quarterback and the prom king. These guys weren't even close. Most of these guys couldn't even talk to women, let alone seduce them. They weren't attractive, rich, or particularly interesting. And they all had horrible self-esteem. Many of their problems came from a total lack of self-confidence. Many of the nerdy, unattractive things they did were a manifestation of this lack of self-esteem. And to cut a long and slightly disturbing story short, these guys found ways to make themselves, if not attractive, at least interesting and different. They learned routines and algorithms to approach women and to talk to them and get their phone numbers. And in the process, for many of them, their self-confidence grew. And why am I telling this story? Why do you care? Do I want you all to become misanthropic nightmares prowling the seedy bars of Los Angeles? No. You care for two reasons. First, how you think about yourself will reflect outwards into the world and how people think about you. And second, for any self-esteem situation, you can find algorithms to change your game for the better. We're all so caught up in our own heads that we think everyone cares what we say, what we do, what we wear, etc., the truth is, no one knows what's going on inside your head. They don't see what you see. If you can master your self-love, that will manifest outwards as self-esteem and self-confidence. Work on yourself. Find those algorithms. Do your practice. Learn to like yourself, and everyone else will too. I'll give you an example of self-confidence in action with a story. So I went to visit a company a couple weeks ago, and I've never been to this building before. And I asked the guy at the front desk what floor I should go to, and he said, second floor. So I got in the elevator, went to the second floor, and when I got out, there were some people sitting around in the foyer and a couple of doors that had big private do-not-enter signs on them. I was confident I was in the right place, didn't really worry about it or think about it. Strange city, people I never met before. I do this all the time. So I push through the doors, start looking around for the conference room to set up in. I'm walking by cubicles, smiling at people, saying good morning, passing people in the halls, etc. 
and I see a likely conference room, but I'm starting to feel like something isn't quite right. So I look at the plaques on the wall and realize I'm actually in a drug testing facility, which was not where I wanted to be. The place I was supposed to visit was on the fourth floor. But no one stopped me. No one even paused. Why? Because I look like I belonged. Just another business guy walking the halls. Because that's the algorithm in my world. I had that self-confidence about me in that situation. Stick me in another situation, let's say uh, a bridal shower, and I'd be totally giving off the I don't belong here vibes. A lot of times when I go into a business meeting, I'm looking for what we call the power in the room. And this is the person who dominates the conversation and no one interrupts them. And when they say something, everyone else falls silent and turns towards them. Watch the body language in any meeting for three minutes, and I can tell you what the social dynamics are. The pickup artists call this an AMOG. That stands for the alpha male of the group. And they have strategies either to isolate or manipulate the alpha in the group. But I digress. The point is, all these things are learnable. The alpha dog got to be the alpha dog by running alpha dog routines. In any situation, you can change your own self-talk to create the role you choose. Coming back around to meditation, like we always do, the higher practices of meditation allow people to step outside their ego and detach from that ego. This is a higher level of emotional detachment. If you can detach from your own ego, you can stop grasping at life and look dispassionately at yourself. The dark circles around your eyes are not good or bad. That little paunch around your waist is neither good nor bad. Your muffin top bulge is neither good nor bad. They just are. Stop worrying about it. No one else cares. No one else worries about it. The Buddha was said to have taken this all the way to the realization that there is no self. The total destruction of ego is the realization the self doesn't even exist. I haven't got there yet. I can simplify my message for you, though. Love yourself and help others. The rest will take care of itself. And now for today's featured interview. So, uh, Rachel, give us the, uh, the 200 words on uh, who you are and what you do. Oh, well, I am basically, I like to call myself a health coach. Some people say nutrition coach, nutrition counselor. What I do is help people basically learn how to, first of all, eat clean and then eat specifically for, you know, their goals, whatever they're training for. The, the main thing that I do is tell people what to eat and what not to eat because surprisingly a lot of us don't know. Yeah, well, it's interesting. There's so many mixed signals out there. And it's not something you ever find the answer to. It's something I think you work on forever and you just keep getting better and better. Absolutely. So what's your what's your background? What's your history with this? Well, you know, it kind of started as a fluke thing. I I mean, I've always loved nutrition and researching it and all that stuff. And I started, and I love fitness. So I started teaching some fitness classes and then I taught some at the school where I teach and you know, that's where you start seeing the women that are working out and they're really dedicated and they just don't make any progress. And so I knew, I knew it was because of how they're eating. You know, I've done enough research and taught some classes on, it just sort of motivated me to be like, okay, I'm, I want to help these people and get it figured out. And so that sort of just 
took off from there and then people started getting results and that's how it went. There you go. So it's it's interesting to me because I was thinking about it. I've always always had you know I've always been kind of I was a chubby kid, right? Not fat, but just sort of chubby. But thinking back to when I was in elementary school in the seventies, there weren't that many fat kids no. or chubby kids. It, there really weren't. I mean, if you look at the pictures, just it it wasn't the same. And I was down at the track last night, night before. And they were having football practice with the, uh, you know, the high schoolers and the and the junior high schoolers, and all those kids are carrying an extra 10, 15 pounds. Oh, that, they're all they're all beefy. Yeah, that's that is the norm now. That I mean, but of course, you know what else is the norm? I mean, processed food, uh, and people don't even know that their food is processed most of the time. So yeah, so I think we're quick to blame people for saying, oh, people are just lazy now; they don't do enough. I think they're just sneaking a whole bunch of crap into our diets that we didn't get before. Uh, 110% agree with that. I mean, they are. And, and the people I work with, they they think they're doing a good thing, you know, and, I, and they're like, I ate this. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, why would you do that? And they just they don't know. I mean, and they're very good at advertising things, you know, to be healthy or what they're not. And, and so and that's where we get our information from. Yeah, it's it's interesting because we get this whole machine again. I mean, it's not conspiracy. It's just the natural outcome of trying to produce calories for lower cost. Yeah, I mean, and it, and it goes back to any company. I mean, it's you want to market and you want to make money. And so, you know, that's kind of that's the way to do it and make it the most profitable. <laughs> yep. Yeah. If you can sell sugar water for a buck a bottle, then... Figure out how to do it, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, what's your general like approach to diet and nutrition with the athletes you work with? What's your framework? My whole philosophy is: is once you can get people to eat real, whole food, things will naturally fall into place. And so that is my big like: let's work on that, let's do that, and then. When they're when people have gone that kind of a bandwagon, then they can start listening to their bodies more because they're getting the right cues and start knowing what to give it and what it needs. Versus you eat the sugary processed foods, well then you're still hungry because you got no nutrients from whatever you just ate, and so you don't your body's hunger hunger signals aren't really like they're false, but but they're not. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes makes perfect sense. It's so your approach is sort of a whole foods and get the the quality of what you're eating first before you start worrying about, you know, quantity or, or the other stuff. Yes, absolutely. And and I feel like a lot of times once people get the whole food quality, you know, like you said, the quality of what they're eating, then they can listen to their bodies for the quantity of what they need. Yeah, and when you stop eating the processed stuff and, and start eating the whole stuff exclusively, you actually feel better. Oh, Yes. I, yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, I've watched people, and I've had people that have come back to me and said, oh, my gosh, my cholesterol used to be bad, this was bad, and, and you know, they're eating eggs and fats and things that we're taught, you know, not to eat, and they go back in, and their numbers are awesome. Yeah, and when you look at all the stuff that's, you know, diet is all about what you're not eating sometimes. A lot of it's just moderation. You know, I was reading something today where they said, Everybody cuts salt out of their diet, and that's bad for you. You get it's all just moderation, right? Too much of anything is bad. Yeah, I mean, and even if you're eating real whole food, you know, eating clean or whatever, if you overeat, 
well, now you've blocked your nutrient absorption abilities. Yeah, absolutely. Moderation. Yeah, so, so it's interesting. The easiest things are always the hardest to do, right, because people are looking for, uh, looking for black and white. Yeah, well, it, it, we do. We look for black and white, and we want to know the one thing that's going to fix it instead of going through a series of processes that, you know, it's going to take time a lot most, you know, for most people. So in terms of processed foods, what are the, what are the stealth processed foods, the sort of top, you know, five stealth processed foods you see that people are eating that they don't really think about? Well, you know, off the top of my head, and I think it's because I just talked about it, so it's kind of fresh in my mind, but I mean, the standard peanut butter and jelly sandwich, it's, or even a standard, like, turkey, mayo, lettuce sandwich, seriously, it's probably one of the worst things you could be eating. <laughs> I mean, do you want me to go through why, or... Sure. Go through why. Because I found those things were, in terms of weight gain, those are like fat pills. Not that they have a lot of fat in them, but I could see the impact of eating a turkey sandwich and a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, right? Yeah. But, you know, I mean, but to be honest with you, I mean, I eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and turkey sandwiches, I mean, fairly regularly, but I don't go buy bread from the regular store. I don't buy regular peanut butter. Like, I read the ingredients and everything I eat. I make my own jam. That might be extreme for some people, although I have a recipe it takes like three minutes to make. But it's all about just what's going into it because there's so many hidden ingredients. And like, just your bread. Pick it up. It's got sugar in it. It's got preservatives in it. And then you pick up your mayonnaise, sugar, fructose corn syrup. It's in your meat too. So there you go. Three of them already like just, you know, too much. <laughs> yeah, and... People are, are comfortable with that because that's what they've always eaten. And it takes a little bit of practice to swap out some of the really bad stuff, like you're saying, like mayonnaise, salad dressing, mm-hmm. you know, stuff that we just don't think about and we'll, we'll throw on top of stuff, or, or like you said, peanut butter. You know, people are mm-hmm. hesitant to switch to the, um, the better version of that or the replacement of that because it's what they're... It's not what they're used to. Yeah, and you, and you're right. And I think for a lot of people, just the idea of change is sometimes maybe not even hard, but scary. Yeah, so I, I think it's important if people are trying to get better. Is it's not uh, it's not a cold turkey thing. <laughs> no, <laughs> good one. <laughs> but it's you, you take a little bit at a time, right? So yes, yeah. Start. Start moving in the right direction and keep keep moving in that direction. Yeah, and you know, and, I, and for you, you were already kind of headed down that path, so it made it easy for me. But yeah. For for a lot of people, I mean, we're we're talking one change, like okay, eat everything else, but change your peanut butter, like one whole right. thing at a time. Right. Or change your salad dressing, or focus on one meal. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. right absolutely. I mean. Those, the, because, you know, once you do that and the small things start to become normal, well, then that every small thing that becomes a normal thing to you just becomes that's what you do and not weird and scary anymore. Right. Hey, so you know me. I'm in training. Yes. I'm, a, I'm an athlete. Yes. How is it possible that I can diet and lose weight and still have enough energy to train, build, and recover? Well... My theory on that is it goes back to your foods that are now nutrient-dense, and so you're giving your body what it needs. And once it starts getting those nutrients, it's amazing how quick you can rebound and your body starts doing what it's supposed to. You know, you've, you've cleaned out your gut, so it can start absorbing and assimilating the nutrients you're putting into it, which is a huge 
it's a huge deal. It makes all the difference in the world. Right. So coming into the uh, the end of my training cycle now, yeah. serious question, case study question. You know, <laughs> okay. what's what's my strategy to not put weight back on when I go into taper and I'm I'm just not burning you know a thousand calories uh, every other day yeah. in a workout and but still go into the race fully recovered and full of energy. I you know honestly, Chris, I think people worry too much about that because here's the deal. It goes back again to you eating nutrient-dense food that's sending the right signals to your body. So you're going to find during your taper week, oh, okay, I'm actually not as hungry as I was before. I don't need it, but I'm still fully fueled. Yeah, so would you bring your calorie count down by a couple hundred, or <laughs> would you change the balance in the nutrients at all? I, I, I love how much you are. You know how much I hate counting calories. <laughs> Yeah, as you know, I'm, I'm, it's just a guideline, right? Yeah, no, I mean, and you're naturally, you're naturally going to bring your calorie countdown. I think that's going to be a byproduct of eating clean and working out less. I mean, it, that's what happens naturally when we're feeding our bodies the right things. One thing I would add, like maybe the week before, I'm not, I'm personally not a huge like carbs. I'm not against them at all, but. um just because of what we're, you know, the nature of your race, probably adding in a few more carbs, not necessarily counting the calories so much, but just a few more carbs since you'll be at a race pace that is not only fat burning, but also carb burning. You know, if you're out doing a hundred miler, then you're going to be pretty much in that fat zone, but for a marathon, be a little different. Yeah. So what kind, what, what's an example of good carbs for that? You know, my all-time favorite for that is, and I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, basmati, B-A-S-M-A-T-I, brown rice. Huh. Yeah, it's easy to find. You can usually, It's usually organic if you know look somewhere local, and it's cheap. Didn't I just eat a bag of that this week? <laughs> I don't know. You're said forbidden rice. I'm not sure what that is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just grab shit, you know. Yeah. <laughs> So you're on the right you, track. That's what I mean. Like you make my job so easy. <laughs> I'll tell you. Um, well, you got to be careful cooking those less processed grains. You got to make sure you cook them right, or they don't digest. You know. Oh yeah, and you know, there's a trick to the brown rice. One really good thing to do: take it, put a little coconut oil in a frying pan, brown it first. That helps burn off some of the insulin that's already in it, and it'll make your house smell amazing. And then cook it. Yeah, maybe throw some garlic in with it, huh? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you want to not be around people, yes, then definitely. <laughs> so I'll give you another trick, which I I just discovered. I'm, how old am I and I just discovered this? Um, we have a rice cooker in our house. Okay. That thing's amazing. Yeah, you know what? I do not have one of those, but I should probably get one. <laughs> so you like it. Yeah, it cooks um, rice, it cooks the wild rice, it cooks um, lentils, it cooks, you know, black beans. You can buy those beans in the bag, you know, yeah. or lentils in the bag, not the pre Like the dried ones. beans, yeah. Yeah, like the dried ones. Just throw them in with a couple of cups of water, hit the button, and it's done. You can then make your bean salads and that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. I'm, and I can't imagine they're probably that expensive. I'll have to go get one. And it's got a rack on the top, so while you're cooking that stuff, you can put, like, um, broccoli or something in the rack on the top, and it gets steamed. Oh, that's, yeah, and I like that. It multitasks even better. <laughs> yeah, and it and it cleans right up, and, you know, it's uh, it's all, yeah, it's sweet. My, do my daughter bought it. I, I go, 
how do I use this rice cooker? And she's like, what are you, an idiot? <laughs> so do you not know how to read directions? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just, just put the rice in, throw it to water, and hit the button, right? Yeah. Like, well, that's sweet. perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, what's, what's the profile of your um, target client? You know, who's the typical person that you're, that you're helping out? That's a good question. Right now, at this point, it is, and I love this because before I just had clients that were, um, you know, they, they were just trying to be healthy, but they didn't have a goal. And now I have all these endurance athletes. So, I mean, I would say right now it's male, female, but I love it because they, like, you guys get it. Like, you're disciplined, you have goals, and it makes such a huge difference when you're not just saying, oh, I just generally want to be healthy. Yeah. So, oh, I don't want to eat healthy. <laughs> yeah, well, and you know what? I get some clients like that where I don't know what they want me to do for them because I try to have them make changes and do things, and everything gets shot down. And, well, I mean, I can't help you if you're not willing to change. Like, they're not ready yet, and that's okay. But, but uh, yeah. But most of most of the people I'm working with right now are um, very dedicated, so that's good. Right. Yeah. yeah. Goal oriented people. Yeah. Which is tough, you know. Goal oriented people are a challenge too because they tend to tend to go too fast, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. What What do you know about that, Chris? <laughs> no, I mean I think it's perfectly normal to lose twenty pounds in four weeks. <laughs> Yeah, no, but you're right. I mean, those super goal-oriented type A that they and, – and that's tough because then there's burnout. If you're not – you know, if you just feel like you're on all the time and you can never have a break and you just have to stick to it, you know, you got to cut yourself some slack sometimes too. Yeah, and that's going to be the hard part for me coming out of my goal race is, you know, trying to find a soft landing. Um, but I've been pretty good at that before. As long as I can stay active, you know, it's yeah. – it's, it's not that hard to balance, right? No, I mean, and I'm, I'm, I haven't always been training for something my whole life either. I'm like, yeah, you, you can find a balance, and it's nice to, like, Chris, it's okay. You can go ahead. Have a beer. Like, if you're not. No, there's there's no such thing with me, a beer. <laughs> okay, okay so you know, okay, see, that's good. Then you know that's a weakness. I didn't know that. I, you know, some people can have one or two beers, and my husband's kind of like that, too. It's one or two or, like, six. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. They, there's a reason they give you beer in six packs. <laughs> One pack for each individual. I got gotcha. you. Okay. No, plus the um, the beer that I like is like 800 calories a bottle. So that's I'm not going to start down that road before my race. Okay. Yeah, and and I I understand that you you are like you have a goal, so I got it. So you meet these folks that are have been struggling, you know, they're in a bad place. You know, what what are some some strategies to to jumpstart somebody who's you know struggling? for the people that are struggling and in a bad place? I mean, we do like where they journal, where they do affirmations. I mean, they have to get in their head to where like they have to like themselves and want to treat themselves better. So you're, you're doing that kind of stuff with them? You're helping them with their inner game, as I would there say? You go. That's right, inner game. Yes, exactly. I mean, and for all of the endurance athletes, you guys have good, you guys already have a good inner game. But for someone that's really struggling, we'll, uh, we'll work on that. Yeah, because it's, it's, you're right. At the end of the day, it's all about inner game, right? If you don't like yourself, there's no way you can, you can get this stuff done. Right, and why would you want to make good decisions for yourself and feel good about yourself if that's not yourself in your head. So what are the, the top like common misunderstandings you get with people 
you know, in terms of what they're doing. They think they're doing right, but you can tell them they're not doing right. Oh, um, like uh, one that just a recent one, like the fake cheeses. You know, they think, oh, I'm going dairy free, and that's fine. I mean, I don't have a huge problem with dairy. There, there are some issues with, you know, the processing of it and all that, but. You know, when they try to avoid it and then they buy, or the fake meats, I, yeah, yeah, they think they're doing something good and then you start reading the ingredients and you're like, this is the most processed food you could possibly buy. Yeah, yeah, there's, it, you, when you have to make something do backflips to look and taste like what it isn't, that's really processing it. Well, yeah, and you know, I just don't, I don't think people realize that. Like when you say it, it's, Oh, well, yeah, that's so simple. You're right. But we, you know, again, that goes back to the marketing and advertising and conflicting messages we get. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I see that with the uh, some of the people who try to go vegan is they they do what I don't know, I would call sort of fat vegan Mm. where they just eat all this really awful processed. Yeah, it's vegan, but it's it's just awful pizza and potato chips and (laughs) stuff. Yeah, I And then the, then they go, I'm vegan and I'm not losing any weight and I'm not getting any healthier. <laughs> I have also witnessed that too, Chris. And you know, you're like, yeah, you're vegan, but you're eating like a loaf of white bread a day. <laughs> <laughs> so, at the end of the day, how do you how do you make this uh lifestyle change instead of a a quick fix? Well, I know we talked a little bit about that, but I think I think the main way to make it a lifestyle change is to do the small incremental changes. And, you know, and I think once you start doing that, you have to also be able to accept that you are going to be the odd man out. Like, that's our society. If you're a healthy eater, you're not you're not the norm. So I think it comes to a level of, A, accepting that, and, B, making the small changes to where they're permanent, and then, you know, going from there. You know what? I think I think that'll change, Rachel. Because I, I remember, you're right. <laughs> I remember when I first started doing endurance sports, I was the sort of the odd man out in the executive suite. And now I'm I'm not, you know. Really? That's see, and that's awesome. Like that's very encouraging. Like I hope it keeps because, I hope the pendulum keeps swinging that way. Yeah, it's very complimentary with the personality type. Um, of leaders to also be, uh, you know, somehow amateur ath- athletes as well, right? It's very complimentary. Oh, right. I mean, yeah. I mean, you have to be strong mentally, I mean, to be in both of those situations, you know, in the business world and in the athletic world. That makes perfect so, sense. Yeah. Right. So, so my point being that, you know, 20 years ago, you were sort of the odd man out, but now it's kind of natural to see that. And you know, and you're right. You have to remember, I live in the Midwest, <laughs> so things get here last. So it's still weird here. Like it's still this craziness that I run marathons, not within my running circle of people, but to everyone else, friends, family. Like you know, it's extreme. Yeah, it's uh, it's like it's some strange habit. Yeah, yeah. I get it. Yeah, and I'm gonna ruin yeah. my knees, and you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think we're making good progress here, Rachel, because uh, my wife told me I was too skinny last night. Oh, okay. Well, wow. and that's always that's always a good indicator that I'm race ready. Yeah. Um. And and my my own, you know, my big concern for you, Chris, is I know you lost all the weight. And I'm like, 
don't be afraid to eat. <laughs> if you're hungry, eat. <laughs> no, I'm getting, you see my strategy. I'm okay. No, and I think you're doing great. I just, you know, I think sometimes people start seeing the results and then they don't want to stop. And it's like, you can't right. go into a race like that because if you go into a race feeling underfed, well, you're going to crash hard. I, I think you're okay, but I'm just saying, you know, for other people, it's good to know. Yep, don't be afraid to eat. But also, I set my goal to get under uh, under 180 for the race, and that's it. Then then I'm then I'm concentrating on being healthy now. Well, and that was the other good thing is that you set a really nice, realistic goal, and that that helps. Some people. Yeah, and I think that's a product of of um, of uh, doing endurance sports for a long time is that you really know your body and you know what you're capable of. Yeah, and I think that's really important. I think men are better at setting realistic goals with weight loss versus women get these ideals that they need to be a certain weight and don't look at like their, you know, body shape and how do they feel and that kind of thing. Yeah. So one of the things about getting older is you can kind of let go of all the um, body image crap. And since I was never good looking anyhow, I never had any of that. You look good to me, Chris. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm like a three, maybe a three and a half <laughs> on, on a good day. One to five, one to ten. What, where are you going with you? <laughs> uh, one to ten. <laughs> so give us your links, and we'll uh, we'll head for the exit. Okay, sure. Where can people find you? Okay, um, they can find me at rachelshuck.com, R-A-C-H-E-L-S-H-U-C-K. They can also find me on Twitter, Fly Girls Forever, and like me on Facebook, Fly Girls Forever. And if they're on my Fitness Pal, I'm also on there. Same username, Fly Girls Forever. And I'll include all of the uh, the links in the show notes. Awesome. All right, so now I'm really going to go home. I only got 500 calories left for today, though, Rachel. I'm going to have to overeat. Yeah, you probably are. And you know what? You're probably going to be okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Cool. See ya. Thanks, Chris. Thanks. Bye. Hitch up your tights, because now we're going to talk tips and tricks for endurance sports. Pocatello, 2014. I told you I'd either be celebrating or making excuses this week. Turns out I'm making excuses. I prefer to think of it as deep analytics. So first, let me set the table by giving you what I wrote the day before the race. And this I, this was a post I called Travel Day, Time to Think, Time to Dream. I'm sitting in the airport, waiting on a plane. This in itself is not an unusual place for me to be, but today is different. I'm not jetting off to the home office to work on processes. I'm not parachuting into a client to save the day. Today I'm traveling to Pocatello, Idaho from Boston, Massachusetts for my goal race, the Pocatello Marathon. It's an all-day flight. I'll have plenty of time to read and write and compose myself. I'll get in late after flying all day just in time to pick up my registration and make my way off to bed. The race is in the morning. I have trained hard for this race. I'm tempted to say that I have trained harder for this race than any previous race, but I'd have to shade that declaration with the realities of age. I can truthfully say I've trained as well as my body at my age and my, with my lifestyle will allow. 18 years ago, when I first qualified for Boston, I was able to train consistently seven days a week with relatively high volume for an amateur. I'd get up into the 50, 60, 70 miles a week range with plenty of quality. But even then, I had a career and a life, and that kept me from giving 100%. 
Over the last few months, I have safely traversed a four-day-a-week schedule, with the other three days devoted to strength and stretch. I still did the work. I did the speed. I did the tempo. I did the four runs north of 20 miles. I trained through the heat of summer and suffered with purpose. I'm tempted to say that I have trained harder for this race than any previous race. I think I can say I've trained better. I've kept my strength up. I changed my diet to lose 20 pounds. I focus on my mobility and stretching. I did not miss a workout. I have never executed a training cycle with this much technical precision. I sit here in the airport, 20 pounds lighter, with no injury, with very little tendonitis. I have done what I can do. I have done my part. Now it's up to the marathon gods and their fickleness to deign provide me with a propitious race. I am confident, but I am nervous. I am nervous because, in a sense, I am looking to run a personal best in the marathon tomorrow. I have qualified for the marathon many times, but not under the new qualification standards. My personal best in the marathon set in Boston in 1998 was around 3 hours and 6 minutes. The qualification standard at the time was 3.10. If I age grade the tables today, that 3.10 would be a 3.05. That means in 1998 I would have missed the new standard by over a minute. Last year, I ran 13 marathons. At least two of them would have met the old standard for my age group. None of them made the new qualifying standard. The closest I came was at last year's Pocatello Marathon, where I missed by a little over two minutes. And that's where we stand. I need to run a PR tomorrow, and I am ready to do so if the fates allow. So let's skip ahead to the analysis. What happened? Nothing seemed to go sideways that I can point to as a big cause. I went into the race well-trained, well-fueled, hopeful. I got up and out to the start well enough. I ran the first 14 miles with the 325 pace group guy, and he was right on pace. Right on, like a 750-751 pace. The first 14 miles drops 3,000 feet down from a mountain through a canyon. The weather was cool. It wasn't as dry as last year because I noticed I was sweating, but there were very good racing conditions. Very good. Nothing to complain about. At one point, I think it might have been about 10 miles in, Ryan, the pace group leader, hands me the flag and says, Chris, just hold this pace. I'll catch up. I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and even though I consider this a really bad decision on his part, I held the flag and the pace well enough until he caught back up a few minutes later. And I was fueling well enough. I had UCAN. I was drinking water. And I felt like I was working a little too hard for that pace on that downhill, but nothing serious. And when the f course flattened out, at 15 miles, I just felt my legs go. They didn't have any power in them. And I couldn't hold that race pace. It was basically muscle fatigue. Effort level felt okay in terms of heart rate and energy level. I just didn't have the leg energy to keep the turnover going. So I slowed down. And my issue was that 15 miles is too early to be struggling. I was perfectly willing to battle the last three to six miles to the death if necessary, but there's no way I could push all the way into the red for 11 miles. So just like that, it was basically over. Since it really doesn't matter to me whether I miss my time by two minutes or 20 minutes, I just shut my race down then and dropped into an easy jog. And I added a bunch of walk breaks and moseyed slowly to the finish. And that's a pain in the ass too. When you've got 
10 plus miles to go and your legs are dead. Now you're looking at a couple hours of suffering and you really just want it to be over, but you have to keep moving. And a bunch of the pace groups passed me then when I was slow. Uh, for the most part, they had lost all their people. Most of these guys were alone, which tells you something about the, the, the race. Maybe the first part was beating people up. I saw one pace leader leave the course alone, break his flag in half and stick it in a dumpster and then turn his shirt inside out and jump back on the course. So I was a bit grumpy during those last 10 miles of the race, I'll be honest. I did yell at a photographer who was snapping away as I walked up a hill at mile 18. I was like, dude, don't do it. What's the point? So, you know, what happened? Well, from the way my quads felt this week, I'm pretty sure the major thing was that long early downhill. I'm pretty sure that ate me up. And I did a lot of track work and a lot of strength training, but I didn't do any hill training. And my quads continue to be my weak link. I did feel a little overtrained. That last 24 miler might have been too much. You know, coach assumes I have a big base, but I may not have had as good uh, an aerobic base as he thought. If you look at my heart rate during this, this cycle versus previous cycles, you can see that I did a lot of this tempo and speed work way in the red zone. And I opted to do the work that was necessary and not worry too much about my aerobic fitness. I crammed a lot of high-quality work into 12, a 12-week training cycle. To do it right, I probably should have dropped back and done a preparative cycle of just zone 2 aerobic runs to get my efficiency up. And to get my, you know, my, uh, my fitness up more before dropping into the hard stuff. But I was working on a deadline. Most of my long runs were suffer fests as well. I got all the mileage in, but I took a lot of breaks on those long runs. All my long runs got super slow towards the end. And this isn't unusual. And I've often found that I crush a race even when all my long runs were struggles. Other factors could have been lifestyle related. I have been traveling like crazy, but I always do, so I'm not sure how much, you know, jet lag is a is a factor for me. But as Eric reminds me, sleep isn't really a determining factor in long-distance running. <laughs> I think it was smart to go into the race light, but maybe I, you know, maybe I lost something by dropping 20 pounds in 46 weeks. It could have been a factor. The only other thing I couldn't control was the altitude. I was running at altitude, but who knows? I had an awesome 10-mile tempo run on my last outing six days before the race and felt super fit. But on race morning, I only had 15 miles in me. So live and learn. That's precisely what I love about the marathon and the qualification standards. The effort and the knife's edge of success and failure, that's what makes it worthy. The woods are lovely, dark, and deep. But I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep, and miles to go before I sleep. Bump. I've got a number of irons in the fire now, so I fully expect to experience a nervous breakdown in the coming weeks. Be prepared. No, it's all good. I've got nothing to complain about. All my stress and likewise my pleasure and my opportunities are all self-made so I can turn them off and on if needed. I had a three-day session in New Jersey this week after getting back from Pocatello. I do travel a lot. Sometimes it gets tiring. I went off my Rachel diet for a few days this week, but I think I've got 
the basics, so anytime I need to go back to it, I can. I've learned a lot. I've learned about coconut water and rice cookers and all sorts of other things I probably didn't know or wouldn't have eaten before. And coming up, um, doubling down on the 13th uh, next weekend and running the Grand Rapids Last Chance to BQ Marathon with Eric Strand. And then I've got a month to train for the Marine Corps Marathon. And then the following weekend after that is New York City Marathon with the ASICS Editor's Challenge. And I got accepted into this, whatever this ASICS thing is. And apparently now they're going to pay for my flights and hotels for four days and give me a VIP transportation, blah, 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 which I can't believe. But I'm going to play along and have fun with it. Maybe I'll wear a Red Sox shirt. I'll have fun with it. I am collecting for prostate cancer still uh, for the research for Marine Corps, and I'm up to $150. I could use your help. 10 20 bucks is all it takes. I have a very modest goal. I'll tell you what. I will give my Pocatello Adidas race bag that I got from the marathon to the first person to donate 100 bucks after I drop this podcast onto the interweb. And anyone who gives me 50 bucks or more can have a, a lightly used men's large race t-shirt of their choice. <laughs> How's that? And I'm not guaranteeing that I can ship outside the U.S., so be warned. I'll look into it, but if it's crazy expensive, I'm not doing it. Onwards and upwards. I think I still have some good races in me, and I'm willing to keep trying. But, you know, I've gotten to a point in my life that I'm super happy to still be in the game. And every race is just a blessing. I just like to race as well as I've trained. You know, from listening to me that I read a lot. And I usually have five books going in at any point in time. Well, last week I finished like four books. Uh, one was that Evolution of a Cro-Mag book from John Joseph that you can only get on Kindle. And I'd recommend it. The guy's like a living graphic novel. Another was, interestingly enough, Hemingway's To Have or Have Not. I thought I had read it before. Actually, I thought I had read all his books, but I must have missed that one. It wasn't particularly interesting or beautiful, but ironically, Lauren Bacall, who starred in the movie version with Humphrey Bogart, died the same day that I finished the book. How about that? And I also read a science fiction book, which was kind of meh. And I finished a New York Times bestseller called The Game by Neil Strauss about the International Society of Pickup Artists, which may explain the hooker girlfriend dream. And it was about two to three hundred pages too long, but it was fascinating, sad, and troubling all at the same time. I kept seeing parallels to sales techniques and the social dynamics in play in business situations. It was a weird book. And I finally finished The Running with the Mind of Meditation by, and I'm going to get this wrong, Sakyong Mifan. He's a uh, Tibetan monk, writes about running and meditation. And I really didn't get into the message of this book until he got into the later chapters, the later phases of running and meditation maturity. But the last couple chapters on the Garuda, the dragon, the wind horse running uh, very much resonated with me. So here's an excerpt. In the wind horse contemplation, we contemplate our basic goodness. When all the plans, worrying, and speed dissolve. When we are just sitting there feeling a deep sense of space and well-being. 
we are resting in the indescribable feeling of basic goodness. It is basic in that this is fundamentally who we are. It is good in that we are complete, intact, and good. An amazing thing about being human is that we can connect with that long-forgotten goodness that we have. It is very powerful to feel that sense of goodness, having confidence and bravery in our innermost being. And after feeling it in ourselves, we begin to see it in everyone and everything. We can see it in a small child. We can see it in an old person. We can see it in a beautiful mountain. And we can feel it when we hug someone. And that, my friends, is what running does for me. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Cheers. Thanks for listening, folks. I do appreciate your support. Run Run Live is a free service for you because I like writing and telling stories. I also love to meet folks, so feel free to reach out to me at Gmail or any of the other social networking sites. I'm C-Y-K-T Russell, and as you know, that's Chris Yellow King Tom Russell with two S's and two L's. My website is www.runrunlive.com. And most, if not all, of this content is posted out there. If you want the show notes to magically show up in your inbox when I publish a show in a beautiful HTML wrapper, you can subscribe to the mailing list at my site. You can find it there. And it also has all the links to everything and everyone that I talk to and about. Other than that, my friends, thank you for the attention. Do epic stuff. And let me know if I can help. Ciao.